Hello, my name's Laura and this is German Grammar Pod. This podcast, the next one too, and the one after that, are going to be about word order. Word order is a hard one to approach because there are so many things you need to understand to get it right and because there are so many exceptions to every rule. I've had several goes at writing this podcast and I've decided I'm going to approach it by starting by describing a normal main clause. One that's a statement, not a question, where nothing unusual happens. It just behaves in a completely normal way. Advanced learners, please don't think this podcast isn't for you. By the time we get to the end of it, I expect most of the beginners to have had to choose to ignore several sections for the sake of their own sanity, or at the very least, to have stopped caring. Because by the time we get to the end of this podcast, I'll be down to some very fine distinctions indeed. Matters like which order different types of adverbials belong in, and which words you fit them between. Beginners and intermediate learners, I advise you to ignore almost everything I'm going to say about adverbials. It's too much when you're starting out, and not vitally important to making yourself understood. Then, next time, I'm going to look at exceptions, and when you can or should use a different word order from the standard one. The time after that, I'm going to look at word order in subordinate clauses and how to recognise when you should be using one. I'm afraid I'm not likely to manage to stick to my one-a-month podcast schedule for this, though. That's partly because word order is a very, very hard subject to describe succinctly, and partly because I'm getting married in May and organising the wedding is taking a lot of my time, and then, better still, I get to go on the honeymoon. But before I start describing my nice standard main clause, I just want to describe what I mean by a main clause for beginners and intermediate learners who I don't imagine have heard that phrase before. A main clause is a part of a sentence that could stand on its own as a sentence. If you didn't add anything else to a main clause, it would still be correct and meaningful as a sentence. On the other hand, it isn't always a whole sentence in itself. You can also add subordinate clauses. These are different from main clauses because although they can often stand on their own as an answer to a question, they don't stand on their own completely. So, er hat ein Eis gegessen, he has eaten an ice cream, is a main clause because it stands on its own. But weil er Hunger hatte, because he was hungry, doesn't. You could say it in answer to a question, or you can stick it either on the end or the beginning of a main clause, so you get Er hat ein Eis gegessen, weil er Hunger hatte, or Weil er Hunger hatte, hat er ein Eis gegessen. But it's not a whole sentence by itself. In this podcast, I'm going to look solely at the main clause, so that by the time I get to the subordinate clauses, I'll be able to describe how they differ from main clauses, rather than describing everything from scratch again. Clauses in German are all arranged around the verbs. Pretty well anything else in a clause can move, but not the verbs. The verbs are also a good thing to use to spot whether you're dealing with a sentence with just one clause or several clauses, and what belongs in each clause. The way you do this is to look for conjugated verbs. That's a verb that's had its ending changed to agree with the subject. In my nice standard main clause, and in most types of other clauses, 
The subject is the nominative noun or pronoun doing the action. Obviously that means not infinitives like essen or haben, but perhaps less obviously that also means not past participles like gegessen or gehabt. Past participles don't agree with any particular subject. They need another verb that agrees with the subject, so you can tell what their relationship with the subject is. What I do mean by conjugated verbs is verbs that match a subject, like Ich bin, I am, Du bist, you are, Er hat, he has, Sie kann, she can, Es stinkt. It smells. Wir wollten. We wanted. Sie würden. They were. And so on. So in the clause, er hat ein Eis gegessen, he has eaten an ice cream, it's the hat that agrees with the subject. The gegessen would be the same whatever the subject. It doesn't matter if you're talking about ich, du, ihr or sie the gegessen would stay the same. So, although my clause has two verbs, and neither of them is an infinitive, only one of them is conjugated. In other words, only one of them agrees with the subject. So we're only looking at one clause here, not two. In a nice standard main clause, like the one I'm talking about, the conjugated verb always comes second, and any other verbs that belong with your conjugated verb, but aren't conjugated themselves, come last. The best way I can think of working out whether a verb belongs with your conjugated verb is to look for other conjugated verbs it might belong with. Once you've spotted the conjugated verbs in your sentence, the bit of your brain that sorts out your native language for you without you having to think too much about it, should be able to help you sort out which unconjugated verbs go with which conjugated verb. And the more practice you get at working it out, the easier it will get. Also, when I do my podcast on subordinate clauses, I'll be giving you a list of words that should help you spot where one clause ends and another begins. Right, back to my nice standard German main clause. If the verbs come second and last, then logically that means that one other thing must come first and everything else belongs after the conjugated verb and before any verbs that come last. Now you'll notice I've said one thing comes first rather than one word. That's because the thing that comes first isn't restricted to being just one word. What actually comes first is one element. This can be, and especially when you're first learning German, often is just one word. But it doesn't have to be. In my nice standard main clause, the first element is a nominative noun or pronoun the one your verb agrees with, plus any words that modify it. I'm going to give you some examples of that so you can see what I mean. In each case, everything that comes before the hat in my sentence is part of the first element. So you get Michael hat ein Eis gegessen. Michael has eaten an ice cream. Michael Müller hat ein Eis gegessen. Michael Muller has eaten an ice cream. Der Mann hat ein Eis gegessen. The man has eaten an ice cream. 
Der große, schlanke Mann hat ein Eis gegessen. The tall, slim man has eaten an ice cream. Der große, schlanke Mann mit den herrlichen blauen Augen hat ein Eis gegessen. The tall, slim man with the marvelous blue eyes has eaten an ice cream. So, what we've got so far is the subject of the conjugated verb, together with any words that modify it, followed by the conjugated verb, followed by everything else that belongs in the clause, followed by any other verbs that belong in the clause. Time to look at the everything else that belongs in the clause part. Let's assume you're putting your nominative subject first, like you do in a nice, normal, neutral main clause, because that makes life simplest. You don't have to put the nominative subject first, and I'll come to that in the next podcast. But for now, let's stick to the nice, neutral, standard main clause structure and put it there. So, you've put in your nominative subject, then the conjugated verb that matches it, the next thing to put in is any pronouns, in the order accusative first, then dative. So, for instance, with the verb geben, to give, which takes both an accusative and a dative object, the correct way round to put your pronouns would be Ich gebe es ihm. I give it to him. Es is what you're giving, the accusative object, and ihm is the person you're giving it to, the dative object. So you get nominative subject, conjugated verb, accusative pronoun, and then dative pronoun. But did you notice that I specifically said pronoun and not noun or object? That's because it's specifically pronouns that come next, not nouns. If you have any nouns in your clause, they come after the pronouns, and they come in the reverse order from the pronouns. In other words, dative first, Accusative second. So you get, Ich gebe dem Mann das Buch. I give the book to the man. Simple enough so far, but what about if you have a mixture of pronouns and nouns? Well, in that case, the pronouns first rule swings into play. So whether it's accusative or dative, the pronoun comes first and the noun comes second. So you can have, Ich gebe es dem Mann. I give it to the man, or Ich gebe ihm das Buch. I give the book to him. This is different from English, where, as far as I know, the word order doesn't change depending on whether you're talking about nouns or pronouns, and so it can be a bit hard to get to grips with. And this is where it gets harder still. You might have noticed that the nouns I've been using had a the in front of them. This is important because it affects word order. The, and words like it, such as this, that, and my, are called definite determiners. On the other hand, a, no, and some, are indefinite determiners. And in German, nouns with definite determiners come before nouns with indefinite determiners in a clause. What separates definite from indefinite determiners is the fact that if you stick a definite determiner in front of the noun, it means that you are referring to one specific member of the group of things, people or creatures referred to by that noun. So if you say the dog, this dog, that dog or my dog, 
In each case, you are referring to one specific member of the dog species. If, on the other hand, you use an indefinite determiner, such as a, or no, or some, or no determiner at all, then you aren't referring to one specific member of the species or type, or at least not one that your listener should already be aware of. For example, if you say, my dog ran out in front of the car, then you are talking about the specific, about your particular dog. Likewise, if you say, the dog or that dog ran in front of the car, then you are referring to a specific dog you expect your listener already to be aware of. Possibly because you've already mentioned the dog, possibly because it's standing right in front of both of you and you're pointing at it. On the other hand, if you say a dog or some dogs or no dogs or dogs ran in front of the car, then you're introducing a new element. An element that to start with is simply one member of the group called dog. If you refer to the dog or dogs again, then you'll probably use a definite determiner because now you are referring to one particular member or a specific set of members of that group. That is, the one you referred to before. If you're finding that concept hard to cope with, then just memorise the, this, that, my and the other possessive determiners such as your, his, etc. are definite determiners and a, no, some and no determiner at all are indefinite determiners. So, what we're up to is that German objects come in the order pronouns, then nouns with definite determiners, then nouns with indefinite determiners. Whenever you have two objects with different grammatical categories, then the grammatical category overrides the case. With a pronoun and a noun, the pronoun always comes first. And with a noun with a definite determiner and one with an indefinite determiner, then the definite determiner noun always comes first. The overriding rule here is known before unknown. A pronoun is extremely known, as you'll usually have just referred to it in the preceding clause or sentence. A noun with a definite determiner is pretty known because you have reason to believe that your listener already knows which particular member of that noun group you're talking about. A noun with an indefinite determiner, on the other hand, is the most unknown. It's just a member of that noun group. If you have two of a kind, though, two pronouns, two nouns with definite determiners, or two nouns with indefinite determiners, then case becomes important. Pronouns always come in the order accusative, dative. And nouns do the reverse and come in the order dative, accusative. So whether you've got two nouns with definite determiners or two nouns with indefinite determiners, so long as you've got two of a kind, then the order is dative, accusative. Of course, if you've got one of each, then you can ignore all that. It's definite first, indefinite second, irrespective of which one's accusative and which dative. A good way of remembering the order of the cases is to think ADDA, which stands for accusative, dative, dative, accusative, with the AD being for your pronouns, which come first, and the DA for nouns, which come after pronouns. Now, unfortunately, it doesn't end there. Some clauses, 
contain more than nouns or pronouns and verbs. In fact, I've been talking about this already when I talked about whether nouns had definite or indefinite determiners in front of them. Determiners come in front of the noun in German, just like they do in English. The same applies to adjectives, and like in English, you fit those in between the determiner and the noun. So it's determiner first, any adjectives describing the noun that you want to use, then the noun. So you get Ich gebe dem komischen alten Mann das interessante blaue Buch. I give the interesting blue book to the funny old man. You can also add in an adverb that describes the adjectives. For those of you who grew up learning that an adverb describes a verb, that can be true. But an adverb can also describe any part of speech other than a noun. Anyhow, again, this basically works like in English, so you get Ich gebe dem unglaublich alten Mann das sehr interessante Buch. I give the very interesting book to the unbelievably old man. The key thing to remember is the order that those pronouns and nouns go in. Pronouns, nouns with definite determiners, nouns with indefinite determiners, and then ADDA, accusative pronoun, dative pronoun, dative noun, accusative noun, if you have two of any of those grammatical categories. Now, determiners, adjectives and adverbs describing the adjectives aren't the only thing you might want to add to your clause. Although, if you're a beginner, I would stick largely with what I've gone over so far. The next bit is probably a step too far until you're fully confident on the nouns, verbs and pronouns. Once you are confident on those, the next thing to look at is where to add in a complement. That's a complement spelled with an E and nothing to do with the kind of complement spelt with an I that means something nice you say to someone. A complement with an E is that part of your clause that belongs together with your verbs to give you the overall meaning of your clause. You could say it's the main thing you were aiming at saying when you brought out your verb. You've probably noticed that some verbs sound a little odd if they don't have an extra bit attached to them. That's your complement. So, for instance, I drove sounds a bit odd, but I drove to London sounds fine. Likewise, I drove all night sounds fine, although I drove yesterday sounds like it's waiting for an extra bit, such as I drove to London yesterday or I drove all night yesterday. That's because to London and all night each act as a complement to the verb drove in those sentences I just gave you, and yesterday doesn't. To give you another example, when you talk about playing a sport or playing an instrument, the sport or the instrument is usually the complement of the verb. For instance, in I play football every Tuesday, or I like playing the violin, football and the violin act as the complements. To give you another example, it's the same thing with to wait. I waited sounds a bit odd on its own, but you can turn it into I waited for you or I waited on the platform. Here, for you and on the platform are each complements, but you could have both of them in the sentence. For instance, I waited on the platform for you. If you do that, only one of them's the complement. And in German, 
it's the one you put at the end, which is the opposite way round from how we do it in English, where we put the stuff we're emphasizing first. So in Ich wartete am gleichs auf dich, I'm emphasizing the fact I'm waiting for you, auf dich. The fact that I'm waiting on the platform is just an extra descriptive bit I've added. But in Ich wartete auf dich am gleis, it's where I'm waiting, am gleis, that's important. And the fact that I was waiting for you is just an extra descriptive bit. Interestingly, if I were going to translate those sentences into English, I'd do it the other way round. So I'd translate Ich wartete am gleis auf dich, which emphasizes the fact that I'm waiting for you, as I waited for you on the platform. And I'd translate Ich wartete auf dich am gleis, where it's where I'm waiting that's important, as I waited on the platform for you. But just a word of warning. You don't want to try and be too clever when you're thinking about compliments. When I gave you that example with waited, I immediately found myself coming up with the sentences I'm waiting and I waited and waited but you didn't come, in which wait has no compliment. The thing is, your aim isn't to see if you can use the verb without a compliment. It's to see if one part of the sentence is acting as a compliment to the verb and is, as such, an integral part of the clause, rather than simply an extra bit of description that's being given. Once you've worked out what your compliment is, if you have one, the place to put it is at the end of the clause, just before any unconjugated verbs. The rough rule is that the more important something is in a German clause, the nearer the end it goes. This at first seems mystifying to the native English speaker, and I have never previously been able to explain why German should do this. However, one of my listeners, a German native speaker, kindly agreed to look over this podcast for me from a German native speaker point of view, and told me what the logic behind German word order is for him. That is, that you mention first all the things that link back to what you've already said in the previous clauses or sentences. So pronouns, then nouns with definite determiners, then finally things that don't relate to what you've mentioned before, like nouns with indefinite determiners, adverbials and the verbs. This order is thus a service to the reader or listener, because the earlier pronouns or nouns with definite determiners appear in a sentence, the easier it is to remember what they refer to. At this point, I'd like to say a big thank you to Martin Kraus, who is that German native speaker, as his comments have been invaluable in shaping this podcast and in helping me see things from a native German speaker point of view, which I must confess, as a native English speaker, I often don't do. Back on word order, that was compliments, time to get on to adverbials and negation particles. Large parts of this is really for advanced learners only most particularly the order in which you put different types of adverbial. Intermediate learners should just focus on where adverbials go in general and where to put negation particles. That's not in similar words. Beginners, please just bear with me and don't feel any pressure at all to learn the differences between the different sorts of adverbial. They're not really important at an early stage of learning German but I will be repeating information about where the other elements belong in a sentence, so it will pay to keep listening. So let's start with what is an adverbial. 
It's a term that refers to both adverbs, that's words that modify anything except a noun, and to phrases that act like adverbs. Basically, it's shorthand for saying adverbs and phrases that act like them. Examples of adverbials that are just a single word in English include understandably, fast, and yesterday. And examples of ones that are phrases include the whole day, by car, and to my astonishment. As you've probably noticed, they're a pretty diverse bunch. If you've got a word or phrase that doesn't really seem to fit another category, there's a fair chance it's an adverbial. Like in English, there's a certain amount of flexibility in German with adverbials, so that where you put the adverbial in the sentence changes the emphasis. In fact, it's the opposite to English. In English, we tend to put the things we're stressing at the start of our clauses. As I just mentioned with compliments, though, German does the opposite. The more you want to emphasise it, the further towards the end it should go. Which is one reason why you end up with the unconjugated verbs at the end of your clause and pronouns closer to the start than nouns. In fact, intermediate learners should probably stick with that rule alone. The more important an adverbial is to what you're saying compared to the other adverbials in your clause, the further towards the end it should go. Advanced learners you should know that there are still rules about where adverbials can and can't go, and there are also positions in the sentence that are considered neutral, which is what I'm going to describe to you now. So where do adverbials go in a completely neutral clause with no particular emphasis? Well, they can fit into quite a few places that fit around the structure we've already talked about. I'm just going to run through that quickly again. In the first position, you get your first element, which is the nominative subject in a completely neutral clause. In second position, you get the conjugated verb. Next, you get your pronouns in the order accusative, dative. Then, you get your nouns with definite determiners in the order dative, accusative. Then, you get your nouns with indefinite determiners also in the order dative accusative. Then you get your verb's complement. Then you get any other unconjugated verbs that belong in the same clause as the conjugated one. The first place you can fit in adverbials is between the pronouns and the nouns with definite determiners. This space is particularly for unemphatic adverbs and it usually is an adverb, not a phrase here. These adverbs show the attitude of the speaker to what's being said and include ja, doch and wohl. You probably won't be able to use any of these until you're a pretty advanced speaker of German. In fact, I think that by the time you're able to use adverbs like these in a sentence, you should have a fair idea of which adverbs fit into this category. So, Particularly advanced learners, you may want to remember that adverbs like ja, doch or wohl fit between the pronouns and nouns with definite determiners. Less advanced learners of German, feel free to ignore this position as a place for adverbials. Most adverbials don't belong here. The next place that adverbials can fit is the one where the rest of them belong. That's after the nouns with the definite determiners and before the nouns with the indefinite determiners, 
So you get nominative subject, conjugated verb, accusative then dative pronoun, dative then accusative nouns with definite determiners, most adverbials, dative then accusative nouns with indefinite determiners, complement any other verbs. Now the problem with that is that depending on whether you choose to call negation particles adverbials or not, it's not only adverbials that fit in that gap. Your negation particles, which are words like nicht, which means not, and nie, which means never, also fit in there. You can call negation particles adverbials, but I think it's a lot easier to memorise word order if you treat the negation particles as a separate type of word from the other adverbials. So that's what I'm going to do in this podcast. The negation particles also come between your nouns with definite determiners and your nouns with indefinite determiners. Most sorts of adverbial belong before the negation particles and adverbials of manner belong after them. Now, for those of you trying to square this with the time, manner, place rule you may have learnt, don't worry, I will be coming back to that. But for now, I just want to say a bit more about negation particles. I find it easiest to think of negation particles as primarily referring to nicht, which means not. But they also refer to words like nie, which means never, or even words like kaum, which means hardly. The position I've described is for when these refer to the whole clause. So when you're negating your whole clause, then you get the word order nominative subject, conjugated verb, accusative then dative pronoun, dative then accusative nouns with definite determiners, most adverbials, negation particles like nicht, adverbials of manner, Dative then accusative nouns with indefinite determiners complement any other verbs. For instance, ich habe den Film nie gesehen. I have never seen the film. Or, du hast Herrn Schmidt das Buch nicht gegeben. You haven't given Mr. Schmidt the book. But you don't have to negate the whole clause. German has a clever trick here that you have to work much harder to reproduce in English. If you put the negation particle in the position I've just described, it negates the whole clause equally. But you can be very specific about what you're negating in German by putting your negation particle just in front of it. So instead of saying, Ich habe den Film nie gesehen, I have never seen the film, you can say, Ich habe nie den Film gesehen, which specifies that it's that film in particular that you have never seen. I have never seen that film. Or, instead of Du hast Herrn Schmidt das Buch nicht gegeben. You haven't given the book to Mr. Schmidt. You can say Du hast nicht Herrn Schmidt das Buch gegeben. Meaning that it was specifically Mr. Schmidt that you didn't give the book to. I think that to specify that in English, I'd go with It wasn't Mr. Schmidt you gave the book to. Or more formally, It wasn't Mr. Schmidt to whom you gave the book. Alternatively, you can specify that it wasn't that book that you gave to Mr. Schmidt with Du hast Herrn Schmidt nicht das Buch gegeben. Handy, huh? But in general, if you want to negate the whole clause, you put your negation particle 
after any nouns with definite determiners, and also after most adverbials, but before adverbials of manner, and before any nouns with indefinite determiners. At this point, advanced learners should note that German isn't nearly as keen on the word nicht as English is on the word not. And if you can use the word kein, which means no, to negate your clause instead of nicht, then that's usually the better option. For instance, in German, it's more natural to say, sie hat ihm keinen Kuss gegeben. Literally, she has given him no kiss, than sie hat ihm nicht einen Kuss gegeben. Literally, she has not given him a kiss. To place your kein, just put it where you'd put a no in relation to the noun in English. Now back to the adverbials. When I mentioned that most adverbials come before negation particles, but adverbials of manner come after, those of you with intermediate or advanced German may have started wondering, but what about time, manner, place? That phrase that a lot of people are taught to give the order that adverbials come in. That's exactly what I first thought. For those of you accustomed to the idea that German adverbials appear in the order time, manner, place, I have shocking news. The news is that the time, manner, place order isn't right. It's possible it came about because place is often the complement of the sentence and you do fit your time and manner adverbials in before that. It's also possible it came about because there are types of adverbial that you could easily interpret as manner adverbials that do fit between time and place. More about that in a bit. But in sentences where place isn't the complement and where you're not treating that other adverbial type as the manner adverbial, then time, manner, place just doesn't apply. So, what adverbials do belong between your nouns with definite determiners and your negation particle? And what order do they come in? The answer is time, other adverbials, place. Very close to the time, manner, place that so many people have memorised, but not quite. First of all, let me re-emphasise what sort of adverbials don't belong there. That's unemphatic adverbials like ja, doch and wohl, which came earlier in the clause. And also true adverbials of manner such as quickly, efficiently, comprehensively, which if they apply to the whole clause don't appear until just before the final verbs and before any compliments you may have in your clause. The adverbials of time which come first in this spot, can be about the point in time, for instance, am Dienstag, on Tuesday, the duration, den ganzen Tag, the whole day, or the frequency, oft, often, and in fact, specifically come in that order, point in time, duration, frequency. Don't worry about that though, until you've got the rest of the adverbials down pat. It's not that often that you have multiple time adverbials in the one clause. Next, you get all your other adverbials that aren't unemphatic adverbials and don't fall into the category of time, place or true adverbials of manner. Unfortunately, 
there's no better word to describe these adverbials overall than other adverbials. The simplest way to work out which these other adverbials are is that these tend to be the ones that start with a preposition. In fact, all mit and ohne adverbials belong here. For instance, mit dem Auto, mit einem Stift, ohne Hut, by car, with a pen, without a hat. And just before them, but still after your time adverbials, comes the passive agent in passive sentences. That's the personal thing that did the action that you can include in a passive sentence by putting it after a von or durch. For instance, der Brief wurde von mir geschrieben. The letter was written by me. Or, der Baum wurde durch den Wind geschüttelt. The tree was shaken by the wind. But, there are a couple of other types of adverbial that belong in this spot as well. And unfortunately, it's a little harder to spot which types of adverbial these are than with our nice easy adverbials linked to a specific preposition. The first sort, which belong in the same slot as your passive agent adverbials, that's just after your time adverbials, are adverbials of reason. Adverbials of reason are adverbials that express circumstance, condition, consequence, purpose, concession or reason. Examples of these include zu seinem Erstaunen, to his astonishment, which is an adverbial expressing circumstance, gegebenenfalls, if applicable, which is an adverbial expressing condition, zur sofortigen Durchsicht, for immediate review, which is an adverbial expressing purpose, trotz des Regens, despite the rain, which is an adverbial of concession, or wegen des Regens, because of the rain, which is an adverbial expressing reason. I'm afraid I can't see any easy way of working out which adverbials fall into this category, other than that a lot of them do seem to start with a preposition, other than mit or ohne, and they don't describe either a time or a place. The other sort of adverbial that fits in this spot, between time and place, is point of view adverbials. These belong at the end of the other adverbial section, in the same place as your mit and ohne ones. They're the ones where, although in German you might just have a single word, in English you might well end up with a whole phrase, along the lines of, from a so-and-so point of view. For instance, wirtschaftlich in Die EOI ist in den letzten Monaten wirtschaftlich stärker geworden. You can translate this as the EU has become economically stronger in the last few months, but you could also translate it as in the last few months the EU has become stronger from an economic point of view. So, after your time adverbials, you get other adverbials, specifically the passive agent and reason adverbials, followed by mit and ohne and point of view adverbials. After that, you get your place adverbials, which are any adverbials that relate to a place. For instance, im Schlafzimmer, in the bedroom, 
unter der Brücke, under the bridge, or nach Berlin, to Berlin. That's the end of the adverbials that belong in this slot in the sentence, between nouns with definite determiners and negation particles. That only leaves true adverbials of manner that apply to the whole clause. I'll come on to ones that just apply to part of the clause in my exceptions podcast next time. Adverbials of manner that apply to the whole clause come after your negation particle and before your complement. They're the ones that describe how the whole clause has been done. These are the adverbials that most people think of when asked to think of an adverb. Things like efficiently, effizient, unanimously, einstimmig, much too fast, viel zu schnell. So, putting it all together, what you get is nominative subject, conjugated verb, accusative, then dative pronoun, unemphatic adverbials, nouns with definite determiners in the order dative, accusative, time adverbials in the order point of time, duration, frequency, the passive agent and adverbials of reason, mit and ohne adverbials, and viewpoint adverbials, place adverbials, nicht or other negation particles, adverbials of manner that apply to the whole clause, nouns with indefinite determiners in the order dative accusative, the complement, and finally, any other unconjugated verbs. Or, given what you're about to hear next time, about how much adverbials can be shifted around the sentence for subtle changes in meaning, perhaps the more useful word order to remember is nominative subject, conjugated verb, accusative then dative pronoun, nouns with definite determiners in the order dative accusative, most adverbials, nicht or other negation particles, adverbials of manner, nouns with indefinite determiners in the order dative accusative, the complement, and finally, any other verbs. I think that's quite enough for this time. What I've said already is a lot to learn, and even most advanced learners will have heard quite a lot of new things in this podcast. Beginners, just be pleased if you've managed to pick up where the verbs, pronouns and nouns go. Next time, I'll be looking at exceptions to the standard main clause, and details that I felt involved a bit too much of a digression to include this time. Beginners, please don't be put off listening to the next podcast. It's not all uphill from here, and the next podcast will include plenty of stuff for beginners. I've intentionally tried to make sure that all of the podcasts on word order will include something for everyone, whatever level you are. The transcript of this podcast and some grammar tables relating to it is available on UK dot geocities.com slash German Grammar Pod. I've also got a blog which you can visit at germangrammarpod.blogspot.com where I give a description of what's in each podcast and also leave messages if I'm not able to put out podcasts quite as often as I'd like to to let you know why. It's also got comments by other subscribers on it, including recommendations by other listeners for other German learning sources they found useful. Anyhow, that's it for German Grammar Pod this time. I promise you, there will be a next one. It may just take me a while. 
stay subscribed and it will come. So until next time, goodbye.